Hey, what a great song of commitment, huh? Give Jesus a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell them they're looking good today. Sure glad you're here worshiping with us Labor Day weekend. I want to honor someone. My son is in town today. Can I embarrass you? Would you just stand up back there? Come on. My son, John, he's the fourth. Glad you're here today. You know, this is a time of the year when people are re-engaging their spiritual life. Summer's over. Kids are back to school. And I want to encourage you a great way to do it on Wednesday nights because we've got this little ministry guide. I would really take some time looking through it. You'll find everything going on in the life of our church this fall. But on Wednesday nights, of course, we have children's ministry is great. That junior Bible quiz uh, for the kids, uh, youth services. They had 125 kids in youth last Wednesday night. And they weren't just eating pizza. I mean, those kids were worshiping God. They responded. I went down there. They had like 15 of them come to the altar call. I mean, that's a great place to influence your, your teenager. But for the adults, we've got three options on Wednesday. You've got life groups and homes. But we've got great classes here at the church. Actually, a series of four classes we encourage everybody to go through. There's a new kind of a, a church beginners class called Connect Class. It's an introduction to the church. I'll teach a portion of it. Uh, we've got a class on the Holy Spirit, a, a class on freedom, having to do with, you know, forgiveness and the junk inside and a leadership class. So anyway, and the third option, we've got a, a service right here in the sanctuary, worship, prayer, and a DVD series by Robert Morris. So great things on Wednesday, good chance to kind of bring your spiritual life up a notch. Hey, turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to be concluding a series that I have been doing for the last probably six weeks now called Supernatural. And the word supernatural uh, means many things to many different people. Supernatural, of course, basic definition, it came to us in a Latin term in the 1600s that basically separated what God does through natural processes and, and, and laws of the universe, what happens outside of that. And that's basically what's been called supernatural. Many people don't believe in the supernatural. It's kind of a, a, a continuum, a spectrum. Those that don't believe in the supernaturalism, uh, supernatural embrace what's called naturalism. Naturalism believes that there is no God, and if there's no God, there can't be anything supernatural, no demons, no devils, nothing like that. Uh, when they talk of creation, uh, they believe that, that uh, God was not necessary in creation. Uh, I read recently one of the great proponents of the theory that uh, said, you know, there didn't need to be a creator, and it just kind of created itself. I talked to another uh, young man several months ago. I made the comment on the radio that said, uh, uh, for the those that believe in naturalism, believe nothing created everything. Of course, he took an offense at the, with that, as, as I would if I were in his shoes. And he said, no, that's not true. Um, best science tells us today that a star, a dying star, had the components in it to literally produce life. Now, we'll never be able to replicate that Big Bang or that, or that creation of the universe as we know it today. I asked the question then, well, where did the dying star come from? He offered a couple theories, but basically said, we don't know, and uh, that's just a regressive argument that's really not worth pursuing. And I wish I could have paused and had a personal conversation because it is an argument worth pursuing. Because, uh, what was it, Pascal's wager, the philosopher and scientist that said the greatest risk a person will ever take in their life is their belief in God or their rejection of God. Because if God is real and the Bible is true, then eternity is too great to ignore. So there are those that don't believe uh, in, in a God. Then there are those that believe in God, that God is supernatural. He created the world, but then he backed up and left it. Others believe that God was supernatural through the pages of the New Testament, but then miracles stopped and the supernatural stopped. And then there are those, hopefully what I call biblical literalists, that believe that the Bible is true. 
For example, uh, when you talk about the future in heaven. I saw the coolest movie last night. Uh, it was called Heaven is for Real. How many have seen it? Oh, it's, uh, that's a great film. Just, just mesmerized me. And I usually don't like a lot of the religious films that are out. But anyway, the most interesting thing, my daughter asked me, she said, Dad, how can the church not believe in heaven? Because when they were kind of interviewing the pastor, the pastor's son had this vision of heaven. There's been a book produced, by the way. Anyway, and, uh, and the church was trying to decide do they believe heaven was real or not some of the members of the church. So my point in this is, is if you literally believe the Bible is true, we will act certain ways and we'll believe certain things, which is, which is kind of where I'm heading. So Hebrews chapter 10. Now last week we talked about supernatural provision. This week I want to talk about supernatural endurance. Supernatural endurance. This word endure, it, uh, it's an interesting word. It means the ability to withstand hardship, especially a prolonged stressful event. And the idea of supernatural endurance is that with God's help, that I can withstand whatever difficulties I would go through. If you can imagine a, a marathon runner, a decathlon uh, athlete, towards the last of the last race, how tired they must be. But they have endured through perhaps 100, 100 miles of activity. It is to not quit when difficulty or disappointment becomes overwhelming. And the key word is overwhelming. All of us have frustrations. I'm frustrated with my direct TV. I'm, you know, I'm upset because my azalea bush died. It didn't get enough water. You know, but, but those things are just kind of life. But some things rock your world. Some things make you want to give up on God, throw the Bible away. Remember the Robin Williams movie, uh, was it called Patch Adams, and he was the doctor. And uh, remember Patch went in, there was a guy, I think he had pancreatic cancer, and uh, no nurse could even talk to him, and he'd throw stuff at him, throw him out of the room. He just wanted nothing to do with God or, or faith or the end of the world. Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, let's look at how the early church faced difficulties. Uh, actually, the whole New Testament was written in a context of persecution and suffering simply because they were Christians. Uh, he says, recall the former days when you were enlightened. This means when you became a Christian. The Bible teaches us that we don't just figure Christianity out. We don't just logically deduce that Christianity makes the most sense. But God reveals himself. And in that revelation, we embrace it or we reject it. Where God becomes real and then the door can close and then we're, we're back to where we were. But you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. And there's the word you endured it. Can you say endured? You made it through this struggle. Sometimes, verse 33, being publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You had compassion on those in prison. Now listen to this. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. Now I don't know about you, but I like my stuff. How about you? Now that doesn't mean you're materialistic. But things in life, how many would rather walk with shoes on when you're walking down a rock road or in the, or in the woods than, than you would barefoot? Yeah, sure. There's some things that bring comfort to us. Our car. I would much rather have driven my truck to church this morning than walked. You know, um, I'm glad I had options in, in my, in my to, the clothes to wear today. But if you can imagine somebody coming in your house and saying, you renounce Christ or we're going to take everything you have away, it's now the law. This is happening all over the world today. You don't have to imagine this. It's happening in particularly the nation of Iraq. Uh, Christians are being, are being martyred by the... I don't have an exact number, but I have read recently that there are more martyrdoms taking place today than there were in the biblical era. 
And I mean, on the biblical era and even shortly beyond when Rome, uh, uh, Nero would light Christians on fire just to provide light in his courtyard. But there's more Christians being martyred today in the Muslim world. It happens all the time. Well, how in the world can you have joy when this stuff is going on? It is supernatural. It is not happiness, but it is a sense inside that I have something in life that's meaningful, that matters more than my stuff. It is a relationship with God that's real. Uh, you, knew, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Now, that's a huge, huge thought because the Bible teaches that heaven is real. It is a real place. You'll do more than just play harps uh, or tambourines in heaven. Uh, we do more than that, but there's a place where there'll be jobs to do, there'll be work, there'll be eating. Uh, heaven is a very real place, and the Bible gives us an encouragement to look forward to that. Because there's more to life than just this life. This life is like a warm-up. This life is like the preseason activity before the real season begins to start. And God promises a reward to those who are faithful to Him. Uh, look at what He says, verse 35. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward. In other words, our confidence, our faith in God. Don't let difficulties rob your hope or your confidence in God because God will reward you. Now look at verse 36. For you have need of, see when I do like this, it's not because I'm trying to be bigger ears here. I'm trying to get you to interact with me a little bit and say, listen, so, so you have need of endurance. endurance. In other words, you as a Christian have need to, to, to hang in there, to not give up, to, particularly if it's prolonged and stressful when difficulty, disappointment's overwhelming. You need to endure so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what's promised. Now, doing the will of God is key because if I am truly a Christian, and I mean, there's a lot of people, I'm convinced, because I know I was one at one time, that went to church but was not a Christian. See, the difference is a Christian is someone who, who has surrendered their life to Christ, someone who has received Christ as Lord. I became a Christian at 19. I remember when the Gideons gave me, gave me a little Bible, and I heard something I never heard, raised in church all my life, didn't take, wasn't the church's fault. But, but, but he said, if you would receive Christ as your Savior. I didn't know that you know, the, the offer of salvation was like the offer of a gift. That it was a, a moment in time experience where I became a Christian when I surrendered my life to Christ. Well, uh, he says, when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what is promised. So now the will of God becomes central in our lives as Christians. But there will be conflict and opposition that we endure. Verse 37, yet in a little while... And the coming one will come. That's Jesus. He's coming back to the earth, and he will not delay. But notice, my righteous one will live by what? By faith. Faith is a confidence in God and his nature, his character, and in his word that we will live by faith. But if he shrinks back, God says my soul has no pleasure in him. In other words, if he or she says the Christian life is just too hard. Uh, I, I, I don't like being a Christian. God didn't answer my prayer. And if he didn't answer my prayer, my grandmother died or I went bankrupt. And, then I just, I, I, I'm, uh, listen, the God stuff, forget it. I'll do something else. He says this. He said, God will not be pleased when we shrink back. But then he says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. That's a big word. But we are of those who have faith and preserve our soul. 
So when I talk about this word and idea of endurance, it's not just a theological concept, but it is practically living out the Christian life, maintaining faith in God through the difficulties we face. Now I'm going to give you three different ways this is worked out in, in, in Christians in the Bible. I'm going to talk about endurance in a life-threatening situation. Number two, I'm going to talk about endurance that lasts for a long time. Now look, I can endure two minutes for a bag of popcorn. I mean, it's hard, but I can do it just like you. But it's hard when the difficulty lasts five years, ten years, lifetime. Come on, say amen. And the third one, we'll talk about the good one, which we all hope and long for, is that the hardship will quickly disappear. Come on, and we'll get over it or around it or through it with God's help. So those are the three things we'll look at. But I want to show you a quick video. It's from a church member. Her name is Amy McCartney. I'll show her husband, Karen, uh, Kevin, at the end. Uh, Amy has been, has been afflicted with debilitating disease for about 14 years. She's under hospice care, and uh, apart from the first part of this video, her words were spoken this week. But she's someone that has endured disease, and I'll be honest with you, I, I went to share communion with her this week. When I shared communion with her, she was not angry at God, she was not bitter. I feel better when I leave her presence and I read her Facebook posts yeah. than I do when I talk to most people. Because something is exuding out of her in the midst of this horrible, horrible disease that she's going through. Now listen, it's real to her, and I think you'll pick it up, and it can be just as real to us. Take a peek here of our friend Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy McCarty. I'm 37 years old. This is very emotional for me. I have had the disease lupus since I was 23, and I was diagnosed with chronic autoimmune pancreatitis in 2010. I spent four years without eating four years on feeding tubes and drainage tubes, four years searching, begging for help, for someone, some doctor that would do anything for me to stop the constant nausea and vomiting, to stop the squeezing pains. In the first year of marriage, you can imagine just being away from home so far away for me was difficult, but um, because of the disease that I had to endure, I gained about 100 pounds thanks to steroid medication. And that and, you know, had to impact my husband as well because this wasn't the woman that he had married, you know. It took nine years, major years, of the disease ravaging my body with feeding tubes, um, having pancreas uh, surgeries and having... Um, so many different tests done trying to figure out exactly what autoimmune pancreatitis was um, being diagnosed with that and having liver troubles and the lupus just progressing and and having to see world-renowned doctors all across the nation we just weren't sure what was happening it was just this land of endurance they would they would ask me well you know and why do you continue to serve him um, why have you endured? Why you? Have you ever thought, why you? Why are you going through this? You know, and for years, Kevin and I did wonder why us, you know? Why was it us? And then, you know, after much prayer and seeking and knowing that we had no sin in our lives, we had, we loved the Lord and we, we served Him. We tithed, we prayed together. We, we desperately loved each other. Uh, why? Well, why not? Why not? Why not use this opportunity that we had, this opportunity that we have in our lives? Why not use that opportunity to further serve Him in ways that others cannot?
And when I start thinking, Lord, why? Why all this pain? Why do you allow this pain? Why is this, uh, you know, because that's what I deal with the most is just agonizing and debilitating horrific pain that I don't understand and I perhaps never will, but that's okay with me. When I deal with that and when I think about that, I look up and I, I think about the cross and I look and I picture the cross, that beautiful cross where he shed his drops of blood. Why not? Why not me? Why not endure? If he endured that pain for someone he did not know, he did not know, yet he still loved. Why can I not endure these simple pains and to maybe spread the gospel to someone who does not know him? Thank you so much for letting me be a part of your church family and Kevin, too. That's not a movie. That's not a makeup make-believe. That's a gal who's under hospice care and recorded that with Shelly's in bed a couple days ago and was excited to be able to talk to us. I feel humbled to give words from which she is living today. See, this is where Christianity becomes real in a very different way that it's not just a set of arguments, but it's the reality of living life, not when life is good. She said for four, can you imagine going four years and not eating food and being around people that were eating? She, she was fed uh, intravenously for four years, the same time I probably ate 2,000 times. In 14 years, I've had probably 12 turkey seasons, you know what I mean? 12 duck seasons. Life is moving, and she's just trying to get some relief from pain. Now, if somebody wants to throw the Bible away, come on, if somebody wants to say God's not real, it should be somebody like that. But on the flip side, she tends to have more faith than most people I know and probably including myself because she's found the reality of God not when the problem is over but in the midst of it. So let's talk about, let's talk about these, three, these three ways that we find endurance from God, with God's help. The first one is the Holy Spirit will supernaturally help us endure life-threatening situations. Now, uh, Acts chapter 7 is where we're going to go. Uh, we're talking about Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the early church. If you don't know how the Old Testament fits and flows together, you should read the seventh chapter. It kind of summarizes the whole Old Testament. But what he's doing is he's a deacon in the early church. He's a Christian. He's talking to Jewish people who don't believe in God, the ones who crucified Christ. He gives this great Old Testament history, and then he leans forward, and he said, you are the guys that crucified Jesus. And they become enraged. Here's where the story picks up. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. Some translation says they gnashed their teeth. But verse 55, Stephen, say this phrase, full of the Holy Spirit. Now this is the key. This is the presence of God in our life. It's not a goosebump, it's not mysticism, but it is the reality. Listen, you've been around people that were full of God. It's like their face glowed. I mean, there was just there was a presence of God about them. Stephen had it. And notice what he did. He was not looking at the guys that were coming to kill him. He was gazing into heaven. What's it say? He saw the glory of God. That's this brilliant light. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. This is supernatural. It's almost as if a zipper between the, the, the seen and unseen world was open, and he saw into this spirit realm. 
Now, other places, Scripture tells us that Jesus is, is seated at the right hand of God. But when Stephen is being persecuted, tortured, he is standing as if to say he cares about one who is suffering because sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve. Now listen, it's very easy for me to explain to anyone anytime why bad things happen. You can look in the first couple pages of Genesis and you see the world was perfect. Sin came in the world. Murder, it all fell apart. You see in the end of the Bible, Revelation says there's no more dying, crying, pain, or suffering. The former things are gone. But all in the middle, there's two enduring things. There is sin in the lives of people and there is the demonic presence of Satan and evil that's real. But when all that's gone, it's all perfect. But that's what causes evil. That's what causes the pain we have to endure. But in the midst of this, something supernatural happened to Stephen. Now, I cannot guarantee you that anytime you have a, a, a supernatural, uh, uh, when, you are, when you're being persecuted, that you're going to see the Lord. But what I will tell you, God will be just as real. Notice verse 57. They put their hands over their ears and they started shouting. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. We don't understand stoning. You do understand a throat being slit like ISIS slit the throat supposedly of the, of the journalist just a few days ago. And then they slit the throats of 20 people, I think, Hamas, simply because they believed that they were supporters of Israel. So you think of that level of violence. I want you to think a minute about stoning. If you, when someone's stoned to death, how violent that must be. I could take a rock this size, and I've been hit with rocks as a kid and ended up in the doctor's office. But if I were to throw this real hard, it could break a bone. I guarantee you it would cause blood to flow. It could, you could lose your eye just from this rock. And imagine some people probably had some of these rocks, and they were using it for target practice, like when you go out, out to the lake and try to, to hit something. Some guy a little bigger picked up this one, probably five pounds of a rock. I mean, no, you don't have to be very far from someone to smack them with a five-pound rock to do a whole heck of a lot of damage. And when it hit poor Stephen, <laughs> you get the picture. Then somebody comes up with one that weighs about 15 or 20 pounds. It's a two-handed rock. Come on. Uh, can I have someone to demo this? I just want you to put your finger on the stage here, and I won't drop it very far, but I... imagine if you're laying on the ground and they come up to you just like this, and what are you going to say and what are you going to do when that rock is about to take your life? Look what Stephen did. His accusers took off their coats and laid their feet at a young man named Saul. Here's the why. I believe a lot of times people say, how could a good God do this or allow this? This is the greatest witness that Saul would have because the next day he's knocked off his horse and he says, by bright light in the middle of the day, and he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said in an open vision, I'm Jesus. The next thing he knows, this guy is the one that starts the church that reaches Gentile people like us and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He's there, and Stephen is witnessing to him the way he dies. As they stoned Stephen, Stephen prayed, God, would you kill them before they kill me? God, I curse, their, I curse their children, I curse their grandchildren. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. See, the hope of the believer, listen, death frees me from this mortal body. To be absent from the Lord is to be, uh, absent from the body is present with the Lord, the Bible teaches us. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Not because death is hard and painful, but it's because it looses us to be with, in, in the very presence of God. Uh, but then he fell to his knees and he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Do 
They knew they were doing wrong. They knew they had no right to do that. But he shouted as a loving man and said, God, please have mercy on the ones that are killing me. How could he do this? How could he do that with that attitude? I tell you, because God was real to him. We can argue theology in a classroom. We can bring two, we can bring two very astute people and let them de debate the existence of God in philosophy class. But my friends, when a historical record gives us an account of how a man endured death and what he credited that endurance to, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, it's got to get our attention, my friends, to tell us unequivocally that at least God could be real. And if he is real, I need a God like that in my life. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, it is the Holy Spirit that can give us supernatural power to face hardship. Listen to the prayer that Paul, the one who was there at his feet, had become a Christian. He writes portions of the Bible, Colossians 1.11, and Paul said in his prayer, May you be strengthened with all power. This is supernatural power. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Uh, the New Century Version says, so you'll not give up when troubles come. In other words, so the power of God in my life, and I'm not talking about goosebumps or mysticism, but let me tell you how, this, how you can be full of the Holy Spirit and this power can work in your life. Now we see it starts when people pray for other Christians, they lay their hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. But listen, each day after that, surrendering your life to God. You see, being full of God is not just a one-time thing. It's a continual experience. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit, and the tense of the word filled implies continual filling. Well, here's how that happens. Every day when you start your day, come to the Lord and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. I surrender my life to you today. I put my life in your hands. I want you to take control of my life, and I want to respond to you today with faith and obedience. I'm telling you, friends, if you will try to live that way, it'll revolutionize your life. Jesus will be not just some religious appendage in your life, not just someone on a, on a cross on your neck or on the wall, but Jesus will become on your Savior, your friend, your Lord, and you will walk with Him day by day, and His Holy Spirit will somehow define your life. So if you got in a crisis and you needed God's help, you'd have it without dialing 911. Now, I'm preaching a little better than you're amening here. Let me tell you something else in this passage. You can face a life-threatening circumstance with faith in God. Let me say it again. You can face death with faith in God, friends. How many like to ride roller coasters? Let me see the hands. All the crazy people in here. Okay. <laughs> you like to ride roller Okay. Um, how many would ride the roller coaster if it didn't have that bar that clicked in place? Let me see your hands. I'm offering, okay, free funerals here. No charge whatsoever. You can use everything, Pastor Nick and I. It'll be free to you. I want to suggest to you that faith is like that bar. When you get on that roller coaster of life and you start your day, and you start it with faith in God, and your faith is as is, is, is real as that bar, friend, when it goes click. When I go in the, went in the operating room, my faith was every bit as real as that bar. When my wife went through cancer surgery, it was our faith that it was as real as that bar, even though we couldn't touch it or couldn't feel it, my friends. It was a spiritual connection. Because I tell you, you may face a life-threatening circumstance one day as a Christian. Someday people will be forced to choose between the mark of the beast and death. The book of Revelation talks a lot about this. Revelation 14, verse 9 if anyone worships the beast, this is the crew of the Antichrist. Isn't it amazing how many people call for a one-world government today? 
Isn't it amazing how frequent this conversation has been the last 20 years? And world leaders talk continually of a one-world government. They talk about, and, and, and oh, listen, they are out doing this little mark thing with all your medical records and all that. That's not some pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. It's been done in large cities in India and other places around the planet here. Listen, it's around the corner, and this is possible that you wouldn't be able to buy or sell without this mark in our day. But the Bible says the one that receives this mark on his forehead or his hand, he will be tormented with fire. How long? Forever and ever. Now listen, if this happens in our lifetime, it would behoove you thinking people, if you don't believe this, to wonder how in the world a book written 2,000 years ago could predict the very thing that's coming in my life. They'll be tormented forever and ever. And look at verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance. the endurance of the saints. In other words, that if you could face that thing, don't go back, don't turn back, don't give up because God won't be pleased. You say, well, how could I do that, preacher? I'll tell you why you can endure this. Hebrews 13, 5, God said, say it with me, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Jesus himself said, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. And can I tell you, friend, that's the bar that we're holding on to. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I may need an extra five minutes today, just a penny after 12. that okay? Who'll give me five minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. That's plenty. 25 will be plenty. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. Here's the second part. God's grace will help us endure hardship that lasts a long time. Remember, the first was life-threatening. Now, hardship that lasts a long time. Think of Amy's, Amy's experience. 2 Corinthians 12. Because as she goes through this, she and I both believe in the healing power of God. We both believe in miracles. We both believe that when we pray, God hears prayers. But sometimes prayers are prayed, but they're not answered in the way that we pray, the way that we want them to be answered. I, I used to believe there was a time in my Christian life when I cherry-picked scriptures and just believe that, that if I just have enough faith and if I live a good life, I'll never have a problem in my life. The only problem is, not only did it not square with the accounts of people in the Bible, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but be of good cheer, I've overcome it. Now, let's look at Paul. Pa Paul, again, now this guy that was Saul, he said, I know a man in Christ, and he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven is the place where, where, where Jesus is today. It's the place where when he emptied paradise at the resurrection, where those saints are in the Old Testament. When people die, the Bible says they go to be with the Lord. That's where they are. He literally went to heaven like this kid in this movie, Heaven is for Real. I'd, I'd rent that. It's in Redbox now. But anyway, uh, he said, I heard things that cannot be told. So to keep me from becoming conceited, in other words, God saw a need that pride could come in his life. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And we're going to come back and talk about this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. What does that mean? He prayed. He prayed hard and deliberate that it should leave me. But the Lord said, my, say it with me, my, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, this supernatural power of God, is made perfect in human weakness. Therefore, and this is wild, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ would rest on me. 
It's as if this sufficient grace changed his perspective. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, calamities. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Either he was on drugs, come on, was mentally ill, or this man had learned something about the power of God to face difficulties in life that can be transforming. Now, let's, uh, let's talk about this just a moment. Paul's thorn, it was ongoing harassment by Satan that God allowed. Remember when Job, righteous and blameless, but how Satan uh, uh, decimated his life for a few years? But God allowed this. God allowed it in, in, in Paul's life, and we were told it would be a preventative against pride. To harass means to torment me continually, to keep on harassing me. Now, there's debate over what this thorn was. Some believe it was temptation. Others believe it was his opponents, a physical disability. I believe it was poor eyesight. And I'll tell you why. One scripture, Galatians 4, Paul said, My condition was a trial to you. My condition, something was wrong with me. But you didn't despise me. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have done what? Gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, can you put that on the screen, please? Why would somebody gouge out that? Why would I say that to you? If you're in trouble, if you need money, why, I wouldn't say I'll gouge out my eyes and give them to you. If people were trying to hurt you, if they were, if they were tormenting you, you know, bullies, I wouldn't say I'll gouge my eyes out. He also said in another place, uh, see what large letters I've written with my own hand. So, so though we can't be absolutely certain, pretty sure. Imagine if guys that were, had rocks that were chasing you most of your life as a Christian were constantly chasing you. Other people had whips that would beat him, but you couldn't see him coming. If you've ever had eye problems, listen, before I had LASIK surgery, I, I, I couldn't e- my letters were that big on the alarm clock illuminated in the morning, and I couldn't even read what they were until I got close to them. Glasses do an awful lot to help you face your world. And if you don't have them, can you imagine what Paul had to deal with in all of his travels, knowing he could be killed at any minute, but he couldn't see well? If that was the case, and rather than removing the problem God gave him, he gave him grace to live with it. Grace is an abstract word, but it simply means I'm going to give you strength to endure this thing. I'm going to give you supernatural ability to walk with this thing. He'll give him grace. And when it means it's sufficient, it means it's going to be powerful enough to make you content in hardship. Not happy, but powerful enough so you can be content. See, just like, listen, if, if you had your choice, you probably, like me, would want to eat, you know, steak and lobster and ribs and, you know, catfish and ribs and, 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 and pork and ribs uh, all the time. <laughs> but if every day you had to eat a peanut butter sandwich, you could still survive, but, but, but you could be content with the peanut butter sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, so that's what he's saying there, that his grace was like that. And it transformed his perspective so that this highly educated man, he had experiences that he hated, but now he welcomed them because he experienced God in the midst of them. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And can I tell you, friends, this promise of grace is available to all of us. All of us. The challenge, Isaiah 40, verse 29, (laughs) of the promise, if I literally believe the Bible, he gives strength to the weary... And he increases the power of the weak. Now look, if you're in a weary, weak spot in life, you feel like giving up, you feel like quitting, your job's not paying you what it needs to be, your car engine just went out, your kids are sick, 
Uh, you've got bills. You don't know what to do. You've prayed. You've tithed. You try to do right, and you're in that spot. It is, I, listen, I've been there. I feel like quitting sometimes. How about you? But if I literally believe the Bible and I read a verse like this, wouldn't it not spark something in me to hold on to the bar of that, of that roller coaster to say, saying that God will give me strength and God will increase the power of me because I'm weak? See, faith opens the door. It invites God's to come, God to come. Even youths grow weary, tired and weary. Young men will stumble and fall. But here's the promise. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. Can I tell you, friends, that is a promise available to us. That is the nature of God. And when I say the promises of God, it's God's spirit that he communicates to people when we're in times of trouble. Now, listen, Linnell knows, and I, to some degree, know what that means. Come on. Amy knows what that means. I wish Robin Williams had known the supernatural grace of God. Now, I read that someone had talked to him about Jesus. I don't know anything about his spiritual life. I'm not presuming where he is, heaven, hell, anything yet. But, but what I am saying is this. Life was so overwhelming to him. If he just could have had a stronger God connection, he wouldn't have put that belt around his neck. I'm just telling you. People are hopeless, and when you lose hope, it's somehow your, your faith in God is drained out of you. Let me wind up with this. And I showed Amy's story because I want you to imagine how, how do you respond when life is overwhelming? You just quit? You just, listen, if you have money and health, you don't need God. Now you do. You're breathing barred air that you can't see. Come on. And you've got to sleep at least every other day, some, to survive. Come on, you have got multiplied billions of processes going on in your body with, what is it, trillion-something cells that you can't control, and you just assume that you're the boss. But when life stops you, what do you do? Where, what is it, where do you turn in hardship like this? My friends, I'm telling you, there's the open arms of God that are extended to you today. The Bible says He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And you can have a relationship with God like this. Listen, you're not born as a Christian. You're born again as a Christian. And at the end of our service, I, I, I have opportunity to pray with you. If you'd like to have a relationship with God like Amy has, like I have, like hundreds of people here today. But it starts by surrendering our lives to Christ. I'm going to close with this. Uh, the third illustration I was going to give you. Remember, uh, some trials may last a lifetime. But aren't you glad most trials are over in a short amount of time? Aren't you glad that most of the difficulty you face in life, you can have hope and confidence and you, when you pray, God's going to hear your prayer. Gene was in the hospital, what, a couple weeks? But hey, four weeks? Five weeks? Wow. Wow. Gee, you needed a new pastor then. He only thought it was there for two. <laughs> they thought she was going to die. And she's grinning as big as she can be right on the third row of the church this morning. So, so you say, well... That was doctors. Yes, but true science simply understands and is awed when they, when, when, they, when they can scientifically understand the processes whereby God does things. See, see, science somehow, for some perverted reason, believes that, that if I can explain how God did it, then I no longer need God. If I can explain the rotation of the earth around the sun on its axis, come on, so we don't burn up. Or is, if I can explain it and put it in a book with a kid, then it must be that God didn't do it. 
assuming that God's not logical. But listen, friends, when God gives, whether it's the, the, the new iPhone that's coming out, the big screen, you say, boy, didn't Apple do a great job? They did, but all they did was tap into what God had had hidden, come on, in technology. That same technology was around when Noah was on the ark. But when someone understands it, we unlock the mysteries of God. That was extra. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about overcoming. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. Now, I want you to listen to the verse. All praise to God, our merciful Father, and the source of all comfort. That doesn't mean a lot until you understand that the guy that wrote those words had literally just been devastated by affliction, by torment, by hardship, by pressure, by pain. But out of him, rather than griping and complaining at God, he says, all praise to God. Our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. And then listen to what he says. Here's the why. God comforts us in all our troubles so so we can comfort others. When someone has cancer that we're aware of here locally, they don't call me. Guess who they call? They call Linnell. Because I've observed, I, I, I went through it as a husband. She went through it as an individual. I was in the room when a surgeon of 25 years, that all he does is breast cancer, said this is an aggressive form of cancer. If you don't treat it aggressively, your wife will die. I was in the room, but he was talking to her. And she kept with God. And if you read the articles and that had been published in her blog about what she went through, they don't need me. They need her. And Paul is saying that comforts us in our troubles so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You see, the most important thing in life to me is not my happiness and not my comfort. That's hedonism. The most important thing in life for me, come on, is living to please and serve the Lord and do His will as I warm up for what I'm going to do for all eternity. Boy, I'm preaching better than you're meaning. Look at verse 8, though. We think you ought to know, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. There's your word. Beyond our ability. It was too much. I was ready to quit. In fact, we expected to die. But listen to the most wonderful thing that's next. As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. Can you imagine if in that roller coaster and you didn't have a bar and you're just holding on to the edge and your feet are on the front and you're trying to do that? Paul said, I quit doing that. The bar went click. And I held on to the bar. I stopped relying on myself, and I learned to rely on God who raises the dead. I'm going to tell you, friends, the world wants us to be self-sufficient when God's trying to get us totally dependent on Him. And sometimes He'll use circumstances of hardship to do it. Um, listen to what He says now. He rescued us from mortal danger. Here's the praise of the Lord. And He will rescue us again. Here's his faith. He's not a fatalist. He will rescue us again. Look at verse 11. And you are helping us by praying for us. And when these prayers are answered, many people will give thanks because God graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Come on, give him a big hand today. The Lord Jesus is worthy, worthy of all our praise. We're going to close with a a, a time of prayer this morning for just a moment. and We'll pray for anything at all. Many of you may be going through some hardship and you want prayer this morning. Someone that you love and care about could be going through it. We'd be honored to pray because we really believe God that He's a miracle-working God. And prayers will work. Come on. Just like they worked with Paul. 
But there may be others that are here this morning and, and, and you need to make a life-changing step to Christ. You need to surrender to Him. I'll be honored to pray with you. I want to show you first a one-minute little video clip of the husband, Kevin, that was taught, filmed this this week. Hello, I'm Kevin McCarty, and you've had a chance to briefly hear from my wife, Amy. And I must tell you, it's been hard to be her husband over the last 14 years to see her body ravaged by a condition that is very rare and uh, to see her body go through some of the pa worst pains a human body could ever endure. And I must tell you, it's been hard to see her suffer, but I know that through her suffering, she's been able to reach many people that we will, that she would not have otherwise been able to reach. And God is, God's hand has been on her life the whole way through. And I must say that we don't know for sure if we'll have Amy with us the next two days, the next two weeks, the next two years. But we know that God is in control. And we know that as long as she's alive, she has a purpose on this earth. And it's not for herself, but it's to reach others. And she has been a witness to all those who have come by to help me while I've worked to minister to them. She is a wonderful lady, full of God's Spirit. And we know that her spirit will definitely outlive her body. Thank you for letting me share. The Bible says a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. There's a guy that's doing it. Most people I know love their wife because she's cute, because she can cook good, because she's got money. Uh, you with me? Because she makes me laugh, because sex is good. All those reasons are about me. That's one of the greatest examples of selfless love I've ever seen in my life. And that's right. That's not natural. That's supernatural. So I want to close with this question. If you're here today, all of us, where do you go when life is overwhelming? What do you do when the crisis comes? Where do you turn? I'll tell you, my friends, you'll reach a place one day where your money, your health, the people you know will not be enough. But God will always be enough. I wonder if you might like to start a relationship with Christ today. Not joining this church. I just want to point you to the cross like the Gideon pointed me. And I want to tell you that being a Christian is more than going to church. Being a Christian is surrendering your life to Christ. It's living for Him each day. It's taking the step to believe. Whether you have multiple PhDs or whether you never finished high school, faith is faith. To simply say, I believe that Christ died for my sins and He rose from the dead. And he's coming again. Listen, my friends, Jesus has a plan for your life. But it, 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 the step to take is our step towards him. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I need God's forgiveness. I need God to give me that fresh start. I want him to be the center of my life. I want a relationship with God every day. I want you to pray for me. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand real quickly so I can pray for you? Real quickly this morning, say, pray for me. I want to, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to put my trust in Him. Yeah, give Him a big hand here. So one, two, two back here. Three, somebody over here. Come on, give Him a big hand here. Somebody raise your hand over here. Say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ today. I, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. You that lifted your hand, come on up right now. We want to pray for you. Come on, give Him one more big hand. You that lifted your hand, come on up. We want to pray for you. Others that's here today say, I need to lift my hand. I need to be up there. Maybe you walked with God before and got away from God. Today's the day to come back to God. 
You say, well, why do I have to come up front? Well, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And I know if someone will clap for you when you come to Christ, listen, and you can't do that, how would you make a stand for Christ in the world? Come on, when the world is laughing and mocking. So once again, I'll ask as they just begin to sing, if you need to get your life right with God, you want Jesus to be your Savior, come let us pray for you this morning. Go ahead and sing, Pastor Nick. Come let us pray today. Actually, I'll open the prayer even broader. If you need prayer for anything this morning, any kind of hardship in your life, any kind of trouble, let us pray. Our prayer team is going to come around the altar right now. And they're coming to pray for you. They'll pray about anything. Someone will pray for your soul. They'll pray for sickness. They'll pray for anything that's going on. May God would be made real to you today. As they're coming forwards and you need prayer, you come up, let us pray for you. We'll sing this one time and dismiss. I love you. Thanks for being here today.